Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, and we'll begin with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God, we thank You again for Your Word. Thank You for allowing us this opportunity to gather and look to it. Open our hearts and our minds that we may receive it and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, Amen. I enjoy reading church history. Some people get their thrills from ancestry, from researching their, their family history, seeing who all they can find in their family tree. Some of you may be like that. And sometimes you can find some really spectacular things um, when you read your own family history. But sometimes maybe some of you have found out that it can be rather ugly. Uh, you might find some things that you're not so proud of. I think of church history sort of in that way. It's like a look at our family tree. Just like your own ancestry, sometimes when you read church history, you see some really ugly stuff. It's not all beautiful. We have not always been great people. <laughs> but when you find those spectacular things, those people who have gone before, who have been extraordinarily used by God, it can inspire you. I've found that I'm particularly motivated in my own walk with the Lord when I read about those rare occasions of what we call revival. Lest you think I'm talking about those weeks where we schedule a preacher and have some special music planned and we meet for a number of consecutive nights and then we go home, I'll let you know I have never personally witnessed real revival. And I would go as far as to say that you haven't either. 
You have never seen revival. I like to read about men like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, who preached to thousands, who rode miles on horseback. People rode miles just to hear them. And whether it was Edwards who read his sermon manuscript in a quiet, monotone voice, holding a candle with his glasses down on his nose, or George Whitfield, that actor-turned-preacher whose voice could literally be heard a mile away, God used them to bring thousands of people to salvation. Those seasons of revival in church history have no human explanation. The number of people who gathered just to hear preaching, the number of people who gathered in the middle of the week just to pray, the numbers who showed those undeniable outward expressions of repentance. There's simply no explanation for what happened other than that it was a work of God. And I pray that God would do that again in our own day. I see how far our world is from God, even our own nation and our own community. I desire to see God send another awakening, a revival, a calling of people to Himself, a real one where people weep over their sins, where they gather to pray, where they have a a hunger to hear God's Word and to read it. Simply put, I long to see people in mass turn to God and be saved. Jonah saw such an awakening. In fact, the response that Jonah saw in Nineveh was probably the greatest turning to God that ever happened. Despite the numbers who were converted under Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, or even men who had ministries later like D.L. Moody, or even in our own lifetimes, the ministry of Billy Graham, no one ever saw the kind of response that Jonah did. No one ever saw a revival, a turning to God, like the one that God brought to Nineveh. You see, Jonah has learned a great lesson In the belly of a fish. And what was that key lesson that he learned? We looked at last week. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah thought that salvation only belonged to Israel. Yahweh was their God. And all those other Gentile pagan nations were undeserving of anything good from Him. Especially the people as wicked as Nineveh. But during Jonah's retreat in the fish's belly resort, his three-night stay, Jonah learned that salvation doesn't belong to Jonah. It isn't up to him to decide who gets mercy from God. Salvation doesn't even belong to Israel. God wasn't their private national God who could do good to no other. Jonah learned that salvation belongs and only belongs to the Lord. And He bestows it on whomever He wishes. Especially those who are the most 
undeserving. Because of God's mercy on Jonah, we find in chapter 3 that Jonah obediently preached to Nineveh and then God showed that same mercy to Nineveh. I've divided up this chapter into four divisions. Number one, God's mercy produced obedience in Jonah. God's mercy produced obedience in Jonah. God truly is a God of second chances, isn't He? Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Now if I had been God, and you should be thankful that I'm not, after Jonah gets vomited out on the beach, and I'd have, I'd have spit him out on a really public beach, I would have made sure people saw it. <laughs> Smelled him. I would have sent him home. Yeah, I've been merciful to you, but you go home. You've learned your lesson. I hope you have. Now go home. You've proven yourself unworthy to be my prophet. I'm going to pick somebody who will listen to me the first time. You can have your life, but just leave. But that's not what God did. It's like God just hits this reset button and starts from the beginning again. Listen to how similar this is compared to the first two verses of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, we've heard this before, and preach to it the message that I tell you. It's almost identical. Given what Jonah has done, and that literally the first half of the book is dedicated to the results of his running from God, this is incredible kindness. This is what for the forgiveness of God is really like. It's as if Jonah had never ran away in the first place. God just starts again. Arise, go to Nineveh. But there's a difference this time. Chapter 1 verse 3 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Chapter 3 verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Here he is in chapter 3 doing what he should have done in chapter 1, what happened? What changed Jonah's attitude about God's mercy? That's what. What changed was Jonah's understanding that salvation did not only belong to him or to Israel or to those he deemed worthy of it, but salvation belongs to the Lord who bestows it on whom He wishes. God told Moses in Exodus 33, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God makes that decision, not you. Not Jonah. Jonah doesn't get to decide for God who gets mercy. And his realization of that, his own experience of God's mercy, drove him to obey God and to go to Nineveh. God's mercy should produce obedience in us. Think about all that God has forgiven you. 
Think about that load of sin that He's lifted off of you. Think about the debt you've been forgiven. Jesus paid for it with His own life so you could receive God's mercy. What right have you to withhold that same message of God's mercy from the unconverted people that you know? How could we, who have been forgiven so much, not let our friends or family or co-workers or fellow students or our plumber know that that same gift has been offered to them? God has been so kind in bringing us to salvation and we must be obedient to bring that same message of salvation to others. Jonah is now willing to take God's message to Nineveh because he has heard from God. He has received God's mercy. Number two, Jonah faithfully preached God's word. Verse 3 again, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I think it's safe to say that Jonah's message could be summarized as a message of judgment. I don't know if Jonah just repeated this phrase over and over again as he walked through the city or if the writer of the book just summarized his whole message with these words. But the point is clear. God's message through Jonah is this. In 40 days, Nineveh will be no more. That word overthrown is a word that can refer to a military conquest. We know that God sometimes judged Israel by letting their enemies defeat them in battle. It could also refer to destruction by divine intervention. God did that with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Either way, the message is clear. Now, if we were tasked with reaching Nineveh, what would we do? Well, being good Southern Baptists, the first thing we would do, obviously, is a survey. Right? We'd make our survey, we'd buy our stamps, our envelopes, and get a team of volunteers together and make sure everybody got one. Let's find out what the people think about God. Let's find out where they are spiritually right now. Well, then we'll need to move to the city, get a job, start start getting to know people, build some relationships, pick out one or two people that you want to share the gospel with, start praying for them. After you've prayed for a while, a few days, weeks, or months, whatever, maybe, maybe invite them to coffee. And then after you, you've done that and you, you're, you're having your coffee, you, you try, maybe, you pray, you hope that you might be able to turn the conversation towards spiritual things. You hope that God opens that door so that you can, you can step in and share the gospel. <laughs> Not Jonah. <laughs> no, he's been vomited out of a fish. He's been given a second chance from God. He walks right into Nineveh and it says on the first day. Now the custom was to go into a city. The first day you just kind of settle in. 
The second day, you announce why you're there, get started on your business. The third day, you wrap up your business and leave. That's, that's what a three-day journey was supposed to look like. But no, he goes in, and on the first day, he begins announcing, Judgment is coming! Forty days, you will be destroyed! Judgment is coming! Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown! Jonah, you can't preach like that. People just need to hear about God's love. They're stressed out. Their, their jobs are hard. Their kids are driving them crazy. Their finances are a wreck. They need to know that God cares about them and wants to be there for them. That's what we hear, right? That's, that's popular thinking. That's what some folks today would have told Jonah. You can't do that. Why did Jonah preach what he preached? Because verse 2, he preached what God told him to preach. In other words, he preached God's Word. Friends, if we're ever going to see God's work in our day, we must faithfully preach His Word. Enough of these silly sermons about repairing your finances. Enough of these sermons on improving your love life. Enough of these sermons on changing your kids' behavior. Enough about blood moons and your best life now and stories about people who claim to have been to heaven and back. The message that people need to hear is the New Testament version of what Jonah preached. It's appointed for men and women to die once and after this comes the judgment. That's what they need to hear. Nineveh had 40 days and God's judgment would be upon them. Some of you in your teens or 20s or 30s, you assume that you have at least 40 more years ahead of you. But it might just be that you only have 40 days. You might only have 40 minutes. You don't know when it will be, but it is appointed for you to die and you will face the judgment. You could die before you leave this building. What good would a sermon on improving your finances do you? You just might be on the brink of eternity. To use the imagery of Edwards, it could be for some of you that the arrow of God's wrath is pointed straight at you. It's ready on the bow and drawn. His finger is barely holding on to the string, ready to release it and thrust you into hell. And rightly so. Your sin has offended Him. He would be justified in punishing you at any moment. That is never a popular message, but it must be preached. The world has no sense of urgency to turn to God. They don't realize what kind of danger they are in. And the most kind and loving thing that we can do is warn them. So I warn you, you will die. You will face God at the judgment. You will be judged for your sins.
righteously. Jonah preached, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Number three, Nineveh responded with faith and repentance. Verse 5 says, so the people of Nineveh believed God. The right response to God and His Word is always faith. It's the only way anybody gets saved. It's simply faith in what He has said and what He has done. The people of Nineveh believed God. They responded with faith. They believed Jonah's message. And that manifested itself in outward demonstrations of repentance. He says they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. And it wasn't just a handful of people. It was everyone. Verse 5 says, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The oldest to the youngest. Everyone heard this message and realized they needed to change their ways. They needed to believe God. The last verse of chapter 4 tells us that there were at least 120,000 people in Nineveh. And they all repented. I can't imagine going into a city to preach and literally everyone repenting and believing in God. Verse 6 says, it even made it all the way up to the king. Verse 6 says, Then the word of the, came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is the king. And while everyone was hearing Jonah's message and repenting already, the king made it official. He made it a public declaration. Verse 7, He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways, from the violence that is in his hands. You know when you've had a real revival? When people see the seriousness of their sin. When they repent and you can visibly see the change in the community. No one has the same attitude as they did before Jonah came. And it even made its way to the government. Let us pray for this kind of a work of God. This kind of revival. Let's pray for public repentance. What would it be like for the governor of our state or the president of our country to go on live television to confess his sin? To repent openly. To tell the world that he's turned to God and he's urging others to do the same. It would truly take an act of God to bring about this kind of revival. It's exactly what he did in Nineveh. We can't change people's hearts. We can't make this happen. We be faithful to preach and pray that God will make it happen. God can and we should be ever praying that he would do it. Number four, God showed mercy to Nineveh. In verse 9, after the king made his proclamation, he said, Who can tell 
if God will turn and relent and turn away from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. Apparently, God gave this king a measure of wisdom for this moment. I can imagine him saying, you know, God could have just destroyed us without any warning. But He sent a prophet. And not only did He send a prophet, but the prophet's message says, in 40 days, you will be destroyed. Why would He do that? Could it be that God is giving us a chance, an opportunity to turn away from our sins and turn to Him? He says in verse 9, Who can tell? And every Christian ought to say, I can! I can tell! (laughs) We know the character and the nature of God, that He is merciful to those who repent and trust in Him. And God demonstrated that once again in verse 10. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them and He did not do it. God was merciful to Nineveh. Not because they deserved it, because they didn't. Not because they did enough good works, because they didn't. God was merciful because they believed His Word and turned to Him. Friends, hear me well. God will show mercy to those who turn to Him. Remember John 6.37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast him out. By nature, you stand under the wrath of God. You are in danger of falling into hell at any moment. At any time now. In 40 years, 40 days, 40 seconds. God could stop your heart and call you up to be judged. Everyone will face the judgment. But Jesus took your place. Jesus Christ took your punishment in His death on the cross. He bore the weight of the wrath of God in your behalf. If you will but forsake your sin, put your trust in Him alone, throwing yourself on His mercy, He will show you mercy. He will forgive you. He will remove the rags of your sin and clothe you in His own righteousness. He will give you everlasting life. You, my friend, are on the edge of eternity. You do not know when you will step off. But today, He bids you to come to Him. Come to Him today and be saved. Christian, the mercy of God that we have been shown should motivate us to obey. We must faithfully preach God's Word. Let us pray that our families, our friends, our community, our nation would come to repentance. Let us pray for revival. God has mercy for those who will turn to Him. Just like He had mercy for Nineveh. Let's pray. God, we're asking You to do the impossible. 
that which we cannot do. I do pray for our world and for our nation that you would cause the Christians who are to stand and preach boldly and faithfully and that you would change the hearts of wicked men that sinners would turn to you and be saved. But I pray more specifically now for those who might be in this room who are living in their sins. Again, I'm asking the impossible. I cannot change their hearts. But you can. May they turn to you today, forsake their sins, and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone. And I pray that you would show them mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen.